and to give you praise for who you are. And, uh, and Lord, we just want to um, give up our offerings and tithes to you as just a thanksgiving um, for who you are in our lives and as an act of worship and obedience to you. Um, so, God, we thank you, and we thank you for all that you do and all that you are in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, at this time, I'm going to go into the scripture reading so you can follow along in your bulletin, online bulletins or in your Bibles. The passage comes from Mark 10, 17 through 27. It's the word of God. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lacked, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Amen. My favorite side. All right, praise the Lord. Once again, I want to welcome everyone uh, to our 10:30 service in Hackensack. Uh, I know this is our. Uh, I think Pastor John calls it vacation home. So uh, once again, welcome. Uh, my name is Won Jay Hudson, one of the pastors here. If you are new visiting us for the first time, once again, we we welcome you. Um, we have been going through our. Um, New vision, new uh, theme here at New Mercy, the theme of restoration, restoration. And uh, we have changed our uh, tagline or added onto our tagline, uh, call to restoration, to make it intentional that uh, we're not only a church for the broken in terms of just kind of feelings of um, God embracing the broken, but we wanted to really also emphasize that actively we want to move towards, and we believe that God is, our God is a God who restores, right, who is in the business of actively loving us, and, and he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us where we are, but he, intent, he desires that we move uh, you know, towards restoration. So uh, we've been trying to <laughs> do this, and I, I really wonder, you know, pastors, we talk about it. It's been like a couple of months, and I wonder if the congregation, how it's going, you know, right? hopefully somewhat, right? At least one thing, <laughs> something about restoration. Hopefully you're chewing on or it's hitting you. So uh, today I'll be closing this series, okay? Praise the Lord. Uh, I have the humble honor of closing out this series and we're going to go back and look at restoration once again in a little bit of a 
more of a bigger picture uh, uh, way, big, you know, bigger picture way, then uh, we'll close us out. Uh, next week, as our brother mentioned, uh, is Palm Sunday. So Palm Sunday leads us into the Passion Week, the last week that Jesus, uh, before he was crucified, then we go into Good Friday. Then in two weeks, it's already Easter, right? Easter Sunday. So uh, it's a very uh, exciting season. Uh, There's a special season for the people of God. Uh, this is the holy season. Uh, but for me personally, I can't believe we're in April. <laughs> oh, my gosh, right? The year is moving by really fast. So hopefully it's been a good year so far. Can we pray one more time? If we could just bow our heads, let's come before the Lord. Father, this morning, once again, uh, corporately, as your people, as your community, we are here together. Uh, Draw us uh, closer to you. Father, draw us uh, closer to you, to nearer uh, to you more this morning. We thank you for each and every person that you have called. Um, Father, we know that uh, every Sunday might seem... uh, seems like it's, it's the same, but we know that it's not. That Lord, that, uh, each Sunday is special and different. And once again, we really ask that this day of worship will be meaningful, uh, will be significant, Father, uh, that it's a time that we can, again, in a fresh new way, uh, worship and to hear you. So, Father, will you move among us? We humbly really invite your presence, your spirit to speak and to heal, Father and to uplift, encourage, strengthen your body today. We thank you so much for your faithfulness uh, over our community here at New Mercy, God. We are so humbled, and we acknowledge you, Father. It's it's you, Father, your church, your people. So, Lord, uh, uh, we pray that you'll uh, open wide our hearts um, and help us really, uh, really hear and to hear you today. We thank you. All things in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. One thing that I uh, really enjoy uh, as a pastor now, more than before, to be completely honest, uh, is the uh, great honor of uh, marrying people, right? Marrying people. So it's one of the few, you know, I think pastoral privileges that we we get to have. And uh, completely honest, when I was a little bit younger and when I was first first kind of starting getting into the the whole marriage thing and uh, marrying people, I was terrified. That was I was so stressed. I was like, I couldn't even sleep the night before because I'm thinking in my mind, you know, marriages, you know, weddings are supposed to be, you know, once a life thing. Hopefully, right, we get one, we do it once. I don't want to mess it up, you know, like if I'm marrying John and Jenny, I don't want to say, declare you John and Cindy, oh, sorry, and like, you know, like permanently like messed up and traumatized, damaged. So, so it was a lot stressful. So I was like, you know, John and John and Jenny, John and Jenny, you know, all these kind of stressful things. But now, you know, have done a couple of uh, weddings, and uh, honestly, there's nothing like it. Uh, Just to see um, two people uh, coming together just by God's sovereignty, right? Uh, Think about it. When two people come together, uh, willing and ready to completely surrender themselves to one another, it's just a powerful display of God. 
There's something really, I think, even spiritual. That's why once in a while we actually get phone calls of pastors uh, from people outside of the church. Like they're like, I never been to church. I'm not a Christian, but can you marry us in the church? We're like, what? Why? Uh, I think because there's, there's really something spiritual, right, once we get to that point. Uh, and the beauty of, of love, beauty of affection, beauty that, uh, that a person could come to a point that you're willing to surrender and give yourself to another human being, that, that, to that point of, of commitment and covenant and uh, very powerful, right, marriages. That's why I think biblically the Lord um, describes many times his relationship with the church, with us, uh, through, through, through examples of, of weddings and marriages. Uh, Genesis 2, we know the first marriage, Adam and Eve, before, the, before sin comes in. One of the few institutions that we have this side of sin, Genesis 3. Marriage is one of them. That's why I think whenever we go to those ceremonies, it's so powerful, at least that day. You know, like they're in love still. I mean, um, it's so powerful, right? Everybody's happy, everybody's dressed nice and having a good time. And uh, We see in Paul's letters in the New Testament, uh, Jesus Christ uh, using the example of, of, of marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Um, powerful, powerful stuff. Then we see in Revelation 19, when the end of the end comes, what's the picture at the end? It's a wedding. Marriage of the Lamb. That we are the bride, uh, we are the bride. Jesus Christ is the groom. And even at the end, the picture of the end, God uses marriage to describe the power of his commitment and the fulfillment uh, that is coming. Uh, so I, I love weddings. I love marriages. And at the heart of it, what I really enjoy once again is, is the display of love and affection. And when we li- think through the Christian life, uh, at the end of the day, it is a deep love relationship, isn't it? So when we talk about restoration, and today, very quick, it's a, it's a very short sermon, like four pages, very short, to close out this series Lisa warns me, it's like, whenever you say it, you go long. So don't. I think I'm sure. Close out this series, uh, going back, taking us back to the bigger picture of restoration. And I want us to look at restoration uh, in, through the lens of, uh, lens of affections. Lens of affections. Because I think being restored uh, has a lot to do with going back to gaining once again, healthy affections, healthy loves. Because the Christian relationship, Christian life, at the end of the day, it's about deeply loving God and deeply being loved by God, no? I mean, of course, a lot of these things that we have to do, very important. We talked about, you know, spiritual life, soul care, Christian living. These are um, things that will help us cultivate uh, spiritual vitality and vigor, but what are we aiming at as Christians? Isn't it going back to uh, loving Christ ultimately? Right? John Piper, Pastor John Piper, uh, I think we have a quote on, uh, for this. He says about Christian conversion, when people become Christian, he says, Christian conversion, on the other hand, is a supernatural, radical thing. The heart is changed, and the evidence of it is not just a few decisions, 
for new affections, new feelings. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's not just like we're, we're doing certain things or going to church. But at the end of the day, something happens, happened in us. That once I had no feelings and I had no heart, affection, love for the things of God. But now after becoming a Christian, I am actually kind of like beginning to see and interested in the things of God. Before with missions, Africa, what is this? But now as a Christian, Africa missions or people dying, they don't know Jesus. Feelings have become, right? Heart affections gain. Injustices around the world. Before, I don't care. I just like, take care of myself, my family. But now as a follower of Jesus Christ, something happens in the heart that there's room and space that you actually think about. Right? The things of God. Like, that's, that's a huge change, transformation. It's a heart change. Once we were like this, but now in Jesus Christ, we are like this. We become like this. We go towards these things. At the end of the day, it's, it's the heart change. It's not just about living a certain way, rituals or, or uh, religiosity, but it's definitely internal. I, I hope you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it might be not perfect, of course, but there is something there. Even worship, right? You know, Pastor Tim Keller said, what is worship? Someone asked him, what is worship? And he says, worship to him is pulling our affections off of our idols and putting it back on God. At the end of the day, what's worship? You know, we express worship most of the time through singing, right? Singing is not, it's not, it does not, it's not worship in an you know, equal way, but singing is a way that we worship God. We express worship, Right? What is, what is worship? Worship is taking affections that are on other things and placing it back on God. That's worship. It's, it's, it's love, right? Um, so if we may, today, just as we close quickly, I want to look at restoration through the lens of, lens of affections. So number one, life, life is a battle of affections. Number one, life is a battle of affections. The spiritual life is, at the end of the day, battle for love. Spiritual life is a battle for love. Uh, Matthew 22, as Jesus is teaching this Pharisee, what is the greatest commandment? If we could sum up the whole Old Testament rituals and laws and all that God wants from us, what is it at the end of the day? Uh, And this guy comes, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. For some of us who like summaries, I don't have time to read the Bible. What's the point? Well, this could be the point. Love the God. Love the Lord. All your heart, mind, and soul. And love others. It's about affections. It's It's about loves. Right? J.K. Smith, uh, this theologian, um, he wrote a book called Desiring, God, uh, Desiring the Kingdom. And uh, really one of the most impactful books for me last year I read. And um, he talks about how the modern world today, our, our modern society today, especially in the Western world, a lot of us, we, if we were to ask what is a human being, uh, the general answer, the philosophical answer is that we are thinkers. 
we are human because we think. You know, like Descartes, I was a philosophy major and terrible. I got like C minus average. I'm like, I'm so smart. I'm like, what am I doing? But uh, the modern philosophy, a lot of it is anchored towards those, those philosophers like Descartes and you know, Hume and all those stuff, all those guys. And uh, at the end of the day, it, it has a reason driven. Uh, he's not saying reason is bad or unimportant, very important. But if we were to kind of symbolize the modern man, modern human being, person, is that we think. So Descartes, you know, his thing is, I think, therefore I am. How do you know you exist? Because I think. That's the difference, right? And I think that's kind of, uh, it's a pretty recent, you know, modern philosophy. Uh, and, but Western world, we, we function with that. Reason is a huge thing for us. So when we were to, if we were to summarize what is a human being, who is a human being, we say we think, we're thinkers. So thinking, reasoning, beliefs, these are huge, very, very important part of who we are. That's what makes us sophisticated. You know, we like to be thinkers and you know, stuff like that. But he challenges, and, and I, I kind of really like this part of his book. He says, are we, is our, li- are our, our lives really driven by the core of who we are by, by thinking? Meaning, do our behaviors equate gets translated through always what we believe in. Is that, is that what, that's the number one thing that drives us? Uh, or is it something else? Because he, then he gives all these examples and uh, he says that for him, actually, he doesn't think we're thinkers at the core. Thinking is important, reason is important. But at the end of the day, who are we? He says we are lovers. The core of human person is not a thinking machine but we are driven by our loves. So I was thinking about this. I was like, wow, this is pretty powerful. Uh, you know, he's not, once again, throwing out complete reason and logic and stuff that's very important. But at the core of the way we live and behave, perhaps, it's driven more by our loves. So I was thinking about this. And, you know, um, I'm trying to lose a little weight, um, you know, a little, 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 getting a little big. <laughs> Uh, and I told Lisa, like, like two, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, honey, this is it. I saw enough documentaries and TV commercials, and my doctor told me, you know, health, the importance of it, and I know, I believe. So I'm going to cut out carbs, and I'm not going to eat anything after 7 p.m. It was 8 p.m., 9 p.m., <laughs> 7 p.m., and no soda, no sugar, and, you know, ready. Then that night, I was watching TV, and the Grand Mac McDonald's. Went right out the door. McDonald's. Just ate it up. Are we, are we thinkers? Are we driven by logic and reason? Or if you were to be honest, think about it. How you behave. Is it more driven by also, big part of it is actually desire. It's actually loves. Right? We do a lot of things because we love it. There's no reason for it. I just like it. I just enjoy it. That's a huge part of who we are. So J.K. You know, Smith, once again, he, he really goes through this, and it was a very powerful display of who we are. And if I were to kind of borrow his, his, his thinking process, uh, spiritually also, we were driven by our loves. That's why, once again, God is so smart. The greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's the greatest commandment. And love others. Because the Lord knows our drives and our loves and our loyalties and our commitments. 
It's not only belief and logic and thinking process. Because how many times we know something and we still do it anyways, we sin. Why? A lot of us, we grew up in the church. You know the commandments just like this guy. Forgive, love, you know, all the stuff. I know, I know, I know. But yet I can't do it. Because there's something deeper, something foundational. Today's passage, uh, once again, Jesus encounters this rich young ruler. We met him many times. I'm sure if you, especially if you grow up in the church, we heard sermons on him over and over and over again. Um, and many, many of us, many times, we use this sermon or passage to talk about money, which we're not going to do today. Don't worry, it's not a money sermon. Um, we see this young man running towards Jesus, with a, I think with a genuine curiosity, genuine desire to know God. How do I inherit eternal life? I mean, that is the, the question, right? What, what's the secret, God? What is it that I have to gain uh, to go into the kingdom of God, to become a better Christian, to become a better spiritual person? And Scripture says that Jesus saw him. And I use the Mark passage because it says Jesus actually saw him, looked at him, and loved him. He saw him and he loved him. And maybe that's saying that he really saw his heart and he was genuine. And I'm like picturing through this scene, and I see Jesus pausing, looking at him and loving him. And he pauses a little bit, almost like he's thinking through, like, oh, should I say it or not? Then he, because he loves him, he tells him, what? Your issue is money. No, what do you do? He actually elaborates into what he has to physically do. Why? Because I think, once again, he's talking about affections. Your issue is not this or this or that, but you have an affection issue. You have a love issue. Something has, you're, you're attached to something. And the only way to permanently break this thing, and then he gives, he says, go and sell everything that you have. Very detailed. Go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Because if it was just like a mental thing, if it was like just kind of thing, then he could, I think he could have just said, your issue is money. Your thing is this and this and this, logically. But he really, Jesus loving this guy, once again reminds him uh, this challenge of, of, of loves, of affections, of possessions. So I think life is, life is like this. I think we could look it through this lens. Uh, perhaps life is a battle of affections. It's about loves. Where, do you, where are we placing our loves upon? Right? It's a struggle. Some, for some of us, it is money. I mean, in the Western American Christian world, and I, I passionately talk about this a lot. Honestly, it is money. It's killing us. It is wealth. We have too much. It's killing us. For others, it's, it's people. It's relationships. You're just so attached to a person, or it could be your family even, your parents, your children, whatever. But it's becoming, getting to a point where it's becoming your main affection. Right? For others, it's many things. It's power, it's position, it's, it's uh, a lot of things. But it's a battle of affections. Okay, number one. Number two, when we don't place our affections on God, it goes on something else. Okay, that's number two. We follow, we ultimately we follow what we love. We follow what we love. St. Augustine, um, in his book, you know, Confessions, uh, he has an elaborate theology on this, actually, on, on loves. And one way that he looks at even sin, right, brokenness, sin, 
uh, he says that sin is when love goes out of order. So St. Augustine writes, what is, someone said, what is sin? Sin is a misaligning of your loves. That's what sin is. So there is an order that God gives us. Love God. Love others. And maybe, you know, love other things or love yourself, whatever. There's like an order. Uh, sin to Augustine is, it's, it's an issue of love. We're supposed to love this first, prioritize it, but we're actually loving this more than this. That's why we're misaligned and we're in sin. That's why we get into trouble. Because our heart is now growing towards that third thing, which should be like a third thing, third tier thing. And that third tier thing becomes a first tier thing. And the first tier thing becomes like a third or fourth tier thing. That's what sin is to Augustine. I mean, it's very interesting theology. Um, but I think the underlying thing is when we are not loving God, we are loving something else. Right? You heard it many times. Um, we all worship something. If it's not God, then it's something. It's your family, yourself, or whatever, people, money, whatever. So when we think about, think in terms of restoration, spiritual restoration, healing, as we're striving to God, I want to love you again, love you more. Uh, these things are called, when it's not on God, these things are called idols. Okay? I'll talk about idols a little bit. Uh, because it is, uh, I think heart of this, this text is ultimately God's teaching us about idol, idols. Um, why are idols so bad? Obviously, idols are things that replaces God. So we were created to love God, place our affections on God first and foremost. First tier love is God, ultimately love. Everything should be driven towards that loving God thing, right? So that's one. But when, we, when our hearts turn and get this affection thing messed up and gets out of whack and gets placed on something else, say pride or something, money or whatever, then that thing becomes your main thing. And Bible calls that your idol. That's your main. That's our main idol, right? So, idol first and foremost is replacing what where God should be with this thing. So that's number one. Number two, idols, idolatry is dangerous because at the end of the day, Scripture teaches us that not only it's about God and worship, that's huge about idolatry, but it's because also it damages us. In that process, it hurts us. Idolatry is not only bad because you're worshiping something else, but you know why it's so bad? Because whatever you worship, you're becoming like that. Okay. Psalm 115, 4-8. I think we have this, right? Psalm 15, 4-8 says this. <clears throat> Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. There is a biblical principle, if you study the Old Testament, that God is so adamant about idols. And it's not only because of breaking the first commandment, have no idol, you know. But it's ultimately, it hurts us. It's killing us. It damages us. Because whatever we're worshiping, whatever the thing that the main tier thing is, the love thing is, Whatever we love, we're becoming like that. That's what scripture teaches us. Ultimately, if you love money, you're becoming like a money person. I mean, we know this. People who love money, they're like, 
oh my God, they're so greedy, whatever. They're just, that's who they become. They're like money. Right? People who love sex, they just become so driven by this thing, you know, totally saturated by this sex and whatever, become like that kind of person. Greed, lust, I mean, everything. Whatever your idol is, you're becoming, slowly becoming like that. And it's killing us. Greg Beal, he was one of our uh, Gordon Connell sem- uh, uh, professors. He, I think he's teaching in Westminster now, but uh, he wrote a book on idolatry. Uh, the book is called We Become What We Worship. And pretty thorough study on uh, Old Testament idolatry. And at the end of his book, his one last principle of the whole thing about Old Testament idolatry, he says, the principle is this. If we worship idols, we will become like the idols. And that likeness will ruin us. The biblical theology of idolatry. The principle is this. If we worship idols, we will become like the idols. And that likeness will ruin us. So our God who loves us, Right? More than we'll ever know. Not only we are called to love God, it's because he loves us. Right? He loves us so much. He's our lover. He's our greatest grand lover. He knows the hair of our hair, you know, the number of hair of our head. He absolutely, covenantally loves us, committed to us. Fully knowing the damage, the hurt that is happening when that love is not replicated. That when we don't strive and place him first because it is killing us. We become like our idols. As whatever that is that we're following and place our affection upon, ultimately, that's how we live and that's what we're becoming. So restoration, in terms of restoration, uh, when we look through the lens of loves, it is a battle of loves. In some sense, we are, God's calling us constantly, fight for love. Fight to love me. If I had to place me over and over at the, at the center, at the bottom line. And God even goes into passages, talks about, you know, I am a jealous God because he's, he's ultimately a lover. He loves us and he wants us to love him, love him as who he is. You know, when you, you know, you know how this, I mean, I'm hoping we all have experienced love, right? You know, um, when... Lisa and I, we met. I was young, I was 23 years old, and we were just friends. And I, stu- I still remember, like, the feelings started changing. Like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And I remember we were in a cafeteria eating lunch. And back then, like, all the seminarians would eat together in the cafeteria. And one day, I knew I was in trouble because I was like, why am I thinking about Lisa not being here? You know, it wasn't logic. It wasn't, like, you know, figuring it out, whatever. But it was just the hard thing. It was like an affection thing. You know how it is, right? When we're in love, like crazy things. And I wonder if, if part of this big restoration is God trying to realign and come back to love. You know, this Christian relationship is not all about theory and principle and you know, steps, but just fall in love again. I, I'm worthy. I love you. You know, I'm a father who sent my one, one son for you to show that covenantial love. I wonder if restoration in light of affections. Um, okay, so the last point we'll close with this is restoration is recovering our true affections. Restoration is recovering our true love, returning, uh, turning back to the way God designed us 
to love him. So we are in a cosmic meta-narrative. It's a love story. Some of you think it's a tragedy. Some of us think it's a comedy or melodrama or whatever. But at the end of the day, we're in this huge meta-narrative, right? It's a huge story that's been going on. We're just a little part of it. And it's actually, it's actually a love story. It's how much God loves us. So we need to uh, continue to cultivate our hearts in loving God. But for me, for me you know, I've been noticing over these past three, four months, as we talk about restoration, my heart is not only wicked and evil, right? You know, we have that. But I noticed my heart is also very stubborn. I don't know about you, but uh, certain things that I am attached to, my affections are upon. Uh, it is so hard. It's so hard to take that off that affection and putting it back on God. Heart is not only wicked, but it's, it's so stubborn. So I'm thinking like, Lord, you know, how can this, my, like this stubborn heart that is so anchored upon this idol or these things, uh, can, it, can, can it break through? And that's been my prayer. For me, that's kind of like what I'm trying to get to in restoration. And I feel like the Lord has been telling me one hint is, you know, one day, Go back and be reminded of the greater desire, the greater love. You know, today, um, baseball starting, right, Yankees, go Yankees. And, you know, we have, like, huge sports fans. I'm a huge Yankees fan. You know, I, when I was younger, you know, I, I would say, like, you know, if Derek Jeter came to our house, Tyler, get out of your room, you know, like, Jeter here, I'm just joking, half joking, but you know, like huge Yankees fan, and I mean, you know, like love with the Yankees, and you know, a lot of like people who are fans of sports or, or certain movements or something, I mean, part of it is this, it's affections, right? You do crazy things because at the end of the day, you're driven by this, right? So, but when baseball season or football season especially, September football season comes, I mean, even pastoral side, we're ready, oh my gosh, we're gonna, people are not going to come to church football season. It's driven by it, right? These kind of things, love. It, it captivates it. It, it, it kind of overcomes whatever those little things are with the greater love that you have, whatever that is. Right? Isn't it true? You know, oh, I can't get up in the morning. I'm so tired. Golf. Yeah, 5 a.m. <laughs> true, no? Right? I mean, today, honestly, someone actually invited me to go see the Knicks and Celtics suite, some box tickets. Uh, the game starts at 12. Yeah. So I'm, they call me, email me, and it's like, Pastor Wonje, you know, I have these tickets, you know, go. Then for a second, I looked at the calendar, it says, Hudson preaching. I was like, I could still make it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. God, forgive me. No, repent. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, why? Why do I even, why does, why do I even think like that? Like, there's always like, something greater love that could come and overcome. It captivates us. And the Lord was reminding me of, you know, Wonje, go back. Go back. Go back, you know, to your youth days, high school days, your college days, those moments when I was so fresh. You know, David prays in the Psalms, your love is better than life. Now, King David, he had everything, but he absolutely placed his focus, his affections upon God. Lord, your love is better than life. Anything I ever tasted or have constantly, your love is again better, greater. 
let it come in like a wave, crash it. So all our small little affections and loves will be, will be crushed. And I pray for that. And that's the restoration. For me personally, I'm, I'm hoping for this year. Uh, and I pray for us. Uh, so with that, we're going to close. Can we, let's pray. Let's just spend a moment in prayer. I think it was a little short sermon, but hopefully uh, we, could, we could pray a little bit. Um, Once again, uh, I don't know about your your hearts, but I fi- I'm finding that my heart is very stubborn. Um, over and over, I think the Lord reminds me of certain things, but there are things I feel like, gosh, you know, when is this thing going to change or be over? Or, uh, in my head, I know, right? In theology, I know. but it really has to be the Lord. God, I come again, overwhelming. Just crash it down from a top, Father. Take me back, Father. Help me to remember. Show afresh, in a new way, Father, your love for us. Father, your affection for us, Father, that we're precious. I think that's the only way. We battle love with other loves. That's it. You battle love with other loves. So let's pray just for, for a few minutes as the Lord leads. You know, just confess if you need to, you know, maybe confess, repent. If you really genuinely have things that you want to let go or turn. Uh, I think just, just that's where it starts. Asking the Lord, God help me. God storing me again. We'll take some time in prayer, then uh, we'll close with our song.